Welcome back to Story Matters. My name is Nick Alamonos, and I am the author of the Anya series, which include Ages of Anya, The Princess of Anya, and my latest book, The Feral Girl. So today, I'd like to talk about something a little more personal. This is what keeps me up at night, and I mean literally keeps me up at night. Sometimes I go to bed around four in the morning thinking about this. I will uh, walk around my neighborhood because I, I can't sleep. I'm full of anxiety. To, to preface this, I'd like to talk about my father who came from Greece in the 1950s. He landed in New York Harbor. And my father came from a small village next to Sparta, a village called Mistras. Everyone in his family were farmers. His brother was a farmer. His, his dad actually died when he was very young. He actually died of alcohol overdose. He passed out in freezing cold weather and caught pneumonia and died. And my dad's brothers were actually captives in World War II. The Nazis actually captured them. And the only reason they didn't take my dad is because he was only seven at the time. So my dad grew up with a lot of hardship and a lot of poverty. And so he really learned to struggle. He, he developed a very good work ethic because it was the only way he could survive. And when he came to America, he was very determined to become successful. And so what he did is he uh, worked as a dishwasher they gave him two options. He says, you can work as a dishwasher or you can work in a factory. And the factory job actually paid better. But without thinking about it, he immediately said, I want to work as a dishwasher. And people were kind of surprised and like, why, you know, the factory is better. And he said the reason that he made that choice is because in a factory, there's really nowhere you can go. There's no upward mobility. But if he worked as a dishwasher, he could watch the cooks, he could learn how to cook, and then he could open his own restaurant. And so that's what he did. He kind of worked his way up over the years, and he eventually opened a small restaurant in Brooklyn, and then he opened one in Massachusetts, another in Connecticut. Eventually, he went back to Greece, and he was moderately wealthy. He was uh, he bought a Cadillac, which at the time was considered you know, a rich man's car. And he actually built a little hotel in Sparta. And then he went to Athens, Greece, the capital, and he built another big successful uh, restaurant. And eventually uh, he moved to Florida in 1975, which was the same year I was born. And that's where I grew up. That's where I spent most of my life was, was in the restaurant business. And my dad was always very, very successful. I mean, people just, they just swarmed into his restaurant. I remember in the 80s, it was like standing room only. It was so hard to get a table. And the secret to his success always was quality. That's what he taught me. My dad never did any gimmicks. He never did any promotions. He hardly ever did any advertising. Almost all of his focus, all of his attention was on making the very best product he could, knowing that if you make the very best product you can, eventually people will discover that, that, that you have the best pizza. And that's what they did. And 
that was, you know, 50 years ago. And to this day, I have people come into my restaurant and they say, man, you guys have the best pizza. I love your pizza. And I tell them, yeah, we don't even do any advertising. We don't even do any promotion. We don't do anything. And so basically that's my philosophy toward life. It's not to try to trick people or to, to manipulate people through advertising and marketing. My philosophy has always been make a really good product and people will discover that. And so the question that keeps me up at night is, is life a meritocracy? Now, my father, he did work very, very hard in his life. But when he came to America, it was the 1950s. And the 1950s was a golden age. It was probably the best time to be living in America. And it's the reason why so many Europeans came here, because the opportunities to work hard and make money were so great. And so I'm very sure that if my father had come here perhaps today in the 2020s, there's no way that he could have worked for a couple of years, saved up money and opened his own business. I just don't think he would have succeeded doing that. And I've read so many stories like this about other famous people who, because of where they were born and who they knew, they were successful. I mean, Mozart didn't come from nowhere. Mozart's father was a famous musician, but I can't help but wonder if Mozart had been born as a Greek dairy farmer in the 1980s, would he have become the great musician that we know today? Stan Lee was living in New York City and he needed a job when he was a young man. And he became a mail clerk in Timely Comics. It wasn't even called Marvel Comics back then. It was called Timely Comics. And what happened is the two head writers quit their job and they needed someone to fill in that position. And so they asked Dan Lee, can you write a story? And he said, sure, I can take a crack at it. And eventually he invented Spider-Man, the Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and all the other great characters that we know and love. But again, if Stan Lee was not born in New York City, and if he didn't get a job in Timely Comics, and if, he, if those people didn't quit when they did, maybe none of these characters that we know would exist. Uh, George Lucas is another good example. He was born in the right place at the right time in California during what a lot of people consider the uh, a revolution in film because a lot of the older directors were dying out and the industry was looking for new voices. Directors like uh, Brian De Palma and Steven Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola, a lot of these people got their start in this decade. And one of those people in that group was George Lucas. He went to a prominent film school. Originally, he just wanted to be an editor. He wasn't even interested in making movies. But he was pushed by Francis Ford Coppola to turn his first movie, THX 1138 4EB, into a feature-length movie, which a lot of people didn't like, actually. It kind of bombed. 
at the box office, but he got a lot of encouragement from his peers, people who were well-connected, well-established. And again, I have to ask myself, if George Lucas was born in the 70s in Florida to parents who just pushed him into the restaurant business, would we have Star Wars today? Now, Herman Melville was a moderately successful author, but when he wrote Moby Dick, the book was considered a financial failure. Nobody really liked it very much. And he died uh, thinking that his book was a failure. And years after his death, I guess some critics looked at it and said, wow, this book is a masterpiece. And today it's considered one of the greatest American books ever written. And Herman Melville never knew that. He died never knowing that. Another uh, author that is lesser known was John Kennedy Toole. John Kennedy Toole tried repeatedly to get his book published, and I think he got very depressed, and he killed himself. And no one ever knew that his book was great, even though he had sent it to a bunch of publishers and been rejected a bunch of times. Eventually, his mom sent it to an English professor who was well-connected, and when he read it, he was like, wow, this is actually really great. And he sent it out to get it published, and it was because of his, his support. And John Kennedy Toole, again, he never knew that. And I can't help but wonder if perhaps Toole was better connected, maybe he would have seen greater success in his lifetime. Um, ever since I was a child, this is all I cared about is being a writer since the time I was six. If you were to ask me, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I would have said, I want to be a writer. I want to tell stories. And this wasn't just a dream that I had that was completely unsupported by the facts. People have always admired my work and they've always loved what I did. I, I remember when I was a kid, all my friends, they, they love my stories. They love reading them. They, they loved hearing about them. I created something in elementary school called the Panthers, which was a little group based on the superheroes that I used to write about, which were called the Panthers, which was very similar to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But this was long before Power Rangers existed. So I didn't steal the idea. And all my friends wanted to be a part of it because they really liked it. They were excited by that. And all my professors, all my professors and my teachers treated me like I was a prodigy. I was constantly getting praise for my fiction, for my creativity, for my writing talents. Um, they're always telling me, you know, I should submit this to a contest. I should be in, in advanced classes. You know, people treated me like it was a foregone conclusion that I would become this well-known author. When I was in college, it was the same thing. And I remember when I discovered the internet, I joined some fiction forums. And I remember winning a lot of contests. People would vote. Uh, one time, uh, my stories won all three spots because they were voting on story. They weren't voting by author. And this isn't to brag. This is not why I'm... I only say it because given that 
backgrounds, you would think that by now in my, I'm almost, you know, two years are going to be 50. Uh, you would think that I would have an agent by now. You would think that I would have been picked up by a big publisher by now, but I haven't been. The books that I have out have earned really good praise. But the thing is, I have a very hard time getting reviews, right? Like if you go to my Amazon account and you look at my books, you're going to see 20-something reviews. If you go to Goodreads, same thing. There's probably, uh, I think there's 20 Ages of Annual Reviews and there's 27 Princes of Annual Reviews. That's not a lot. Other authors have hundreds, maybe thousands of reviews. And they're not necessarily famous or published authors. A lot of these people are, um, they're independent creators. And I'm forced to wonder how in the hell do these people get hundreds of reviews? Are these reviews fake? You know, are they, you know, did they go to a Chinese uh, hacking farm and, you know, just order a bunch of reviews? Because I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I don't feel comfortable going to my friends and family and say, leave a bunch of fake reviews. Goodreads has a terrible system where just about anybody can leave a review. I can actually review my own book on Goodreads, which doesn't make any sense. And I've seen authors do this. I've actually seen authors review their own books. I'm like, how can you do that, right? That's obviously not a legit objective opinion. And I don't ask people to review my book unless they actually read it and they liked it. It would be one thing if you could say, well, maybe I suck, right? This is something my nephew told me. One time I was telling this to my nephew and he says, well, maybe you just suck, right? But that didn't really offend me because it suggests that life is a meritocracy, right? Like if I'm not successful because my stories aren't good, that's actually something that I find encouraging because I can improve myself, right? I want to believe that I can, I can figure it out. I can, I can improve to the point where I do become successful. But I don't know if that's the case because I don't know if that's the way the world operates. I actually sent The Princess of Anya, which I still think is my best book, although some people say Feral Girl is better. I sent The Princess of Anya out to two uh, book critics. One of them was Indie Reader, and the other one was Kirkus Magazine. Indie Reader gave my book a 4.7 out of 5 stars and said that it wasn't just a great indie book. It was a great book, period. Now, some people say, okay, these reviews aren't legitimate, right? And maybe they're not. I don't know. But Kirkus is a very well-respected magazine. It's, it's probably the most respected book critic in America. They've been around since the 1930s. And they're used by professional authors. I mean, you can get a best-selling author who's on all the bookstores and you'll see reviews by Kirkus. And they also gave the book a good review. And they put it in their list of 20 great books worth discovering for that year in their magazine. But what I notice is that there's a certain hesitation when it comes to people reading my book, right? Like I'll tell people I wrote a book. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's the same kind of expression I get when people walk into my restaurant for the first time. A lot of times I'll get these kind of snobby food critic like people. These foodies will come into my store and a lot of them are from New York or Chicago or they're, they have this certain mindset about, oh, you know, how pizza is supposed to be. And they're looking around the store and they're and they're trying to like, 
They're trying to figure out if we have good pizza, right? They're looking around and they're looking at the menu and they just have this look on their face like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like this pizza. And sometimes they'll ask me these weird questions. Like, well, how do you make your pizza? Do you make it in-house? Do you make your own dough? What kind of cheese do you use? And like, if I give them the wrong answer, they'll like storm out of the restaurant. Like the cheese we use, it's a very high-grade whole milk, one of the most expensive cheeses you can buy, actually. It's a Wisconsin white cheddar that is mixed with mozzarella. And... Some people don't like that. They're like, what? You put cheddar in your pizza? And I don't know if they're thinking like nacho cheese cheddar. Like they're thinking like yellow melted cheddar. I don't know what they're thinking. But the the cheddar I'm talking about, in, in most cases, it's actually more expensive than the mozzarella. So we're not doing it as a cost-cutting measure. We're doing it to add flavor to the mozzarella because mozzarella is a little bland. And I've had people storm out of my restaurant, like angry, like, what? You put cheddar in your pizza? And they'll like storm out of the restaurant, like angrily, actually chased after some of these customers. And they said, listen, I have never in 50 years, 50, had a single customer say, I don't like this pizza because there's cheddar on it. So I said, order the pizza. And if you don't like it, I will not charge you. You, you can get that pizza for free. And I had a couple, you know, takers say, oh, okay, fine. And and they and they try the pizza, like, oh wow, it's really good. And I had a couple of people say, I don't care. And they just get in their car and they drive away, like, like I offended them, okay, with, with cheddar. And what's funny is that the next time I see these people, they have a totally different attitude. They have a totally different expression on their face. Hey, how you doing? And they're all talkative and friendly. They're different people because they tried the pizza and it's like, oh yeah, it's good. It's like they say the proof is in the pudding because I'll tell them, you know, we've been around for 50 years. I point to the wall where we have a bunch of awards and we've won best pizza like several times and they, they, they don't care. They're like, no, no, I don't believe it. They're so skeptical. And then their minds change. And I've had this happen several times with my books. People are really skeptical and I don't blame them because there's a lot of crappy indie books out there. Like, in fact, I don't think I've actually read, and I hate to say this, but I don't think I've actually read a single indie book that I really felt like, wow, why isn't this book published, right? I've enjoyed some of them, but I've never read one where I'm like, this book needs to be published. Why isn't this on the shelf in Barnes Noble? I've never experienced that. Now, I've read a lot of published books where I said, why the hell isn't this an indie book? This sucks. But never the other way around. And I think this is another problem that I have is that independent authors tend to get together and what they do, they do something I call, I like to call a circle jerk where they're, everyone's kind of helping each other out. I see this a lot on Twitter where it's like, okay, if you review my book, I'll review your book. And so I'm supposed to befriend all these indie authors and then I'm supposed to give all their books five stars, whether I like the books or not because that way they'll give my book five stars. And this, of course, is dishonest. There's a lot of dishonesty in this business. I, I've seen this so often. I remember I was talking to a woman who was moderately successful in the author on Amazon. Uh, in her, She had a weird category. It was like teenage Canadian romance. It was weird. 
And on a few occasions, her book was ranked number one in this, this weird niche category. And at the time, she was telling me how I can manipulate Amazon's search results by going into their, their categories and basically listing my book in a lot of weird categories. And she goes, yeah, trust me, trust me, do this and, and you'll be really successful. I, I said, okay. So I tried, but the thing I wouldn't do is I would not put my book in a category that didn't belong. And so one thing is she was pushing me to put my book into family drama, right? She goes, you should put your book into family drama. And I said, but my book isn't about family drama. She goes, it doesn't matter. Just put it in there. Just put it in family drama because that, that's going to help you. And I said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm basically lying to potential readers, right? They're going to get my book for family drama. They're going to read, you know, a bunch of like, you know, action and epic fantasy and adventure. She's like, well, does your book have a family in it? I was like, well, yeah, I think most books do. Well, then it's family drama. I said, no, I, I don't feel good, good about that. And you know what she did? She unfriended me. She never spoke to me again. She's like, if you're not willing to be dishonest like the rest of us, then I don't want to talk to you. And I was, I was trying to apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. No, never, I never saw her again. And I was like, wow. And now talking to another person who is kind of doing the same thing. She's trying to help me uh, because she works with a lot of indie authors who, you know, she gets some high ranks on Amazon. And she basically told me the same thing. She says, you need to go to this thing called BookBub and you need to, recommend three books every day, every day, I recommend three books. And I said, okay. And she goes, do this for like three months. So I'm doing the math here. I'm like, All right, okay. So it's like 90 books a month. That's something like 300, 400 books uh, in three months. I said, I don't think I've read that many books. I have probably read close to 300 books, but I don't think I can recommend every book I've ever read. I, I could probably recommend maybe 50 books tops. You know? And she's like, doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you've read them, just recommend them. And I'm like, well, that's dishonest. I don't feel good about that. She goes, well, that, that doesn't matter. Just, just do it. And I'm like, okay, so is this what the book industry is? Is it just a lot of lying and deceiving and, and manipulating? Because that's not the way I was raised. That's not the way my father became successful. He didn't, he didn't fake a bunch of things to get people to try his pizza. He became successful because he had a good product. And that's something that I want to believe. I want to believe that if I write a good story, people will figure it out. Eventually people are going to be like, this story was great. Nick is a good writer. I really loved his book. And I do have people like that. One guy said, I can't stop thinking about your, your book. I mean, literally, like I can't think of a lot of books that were so impactful to me, right? I could probably maybe count five books of all the books I've read in my life that were so powerful that I couldn't stop thinking about them. That, that's a, that's huge praise, right? And a lot of similar things. I've had people say, I don't know why this book isn't a bestseller. I don't know why this book isn't in bookstores. I've had a lot of good, really good reviews but not a lot of reviews because people don't seem to take a chance on me. That's the thing that drives me nuts. And so it makes me think, is life a meritocracy? And I think that there's a lot of evidence that it, it might not be. I mean, think about the most popular 
music, right? Think about like Gangnam Style. Is Gangnam Style the best song ever? Is it even one of the best songs ever? Like, I don't think so. Like, I think if you were to ask a hundred people, what is their top 10 favorite songs? I don't think anyone is going to say Gangnam Style. I don't think one person is going to oh, Gangnam Style, yeah. It was a fluke. Gangnam Style was a fluke. It just, it became viral for some odd reason. And I think the same thing happens with movies and books. Fifty Shades of Grey is one of the most successful books of all time. Is it one of the best books ever written? Is it anywhere near the, the top 100 list of great novels is Fifty Shades of Grey? How many people talk about how much they hate Twilight, right? Everyone was like, Twilight sucks. Twilight's the worst romance I've ever read. Like, Twilight gets so much hate. And yet it's a very successful book. How did that happen? That's the thing. There seems to be this weird disconnect between what's popular and successful and what's actually good. Does McDonald's make the best hamburgers? Does Pizza Hut make the best pizza? I mean, I could just go on and on. You know, there's there's so many examples of it. Do the best people in America become the president? I mean, you might be a Trump supporter, but even if you love Trump, you have to admit he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He, he Trump is not a genius. He is not the smartest guy. He's not the most capable guy. I mean, he's not the best American in, in any measure. And yet he became president. How did that happen? And so this is the stuff that really keeps me up at night. I wonder, does it even matter how good of a writer I am? Does it matter how good of a book I write? And if you're really cynical and you're listening to this, you might say, Nick, you probably just suck, right? You're probably just not there yet. Well, maybe I'm not. You know, maybe I, you know, I need to get better. If someone can point to something that I did and they can say, you know, you need to learn this or that, right? I'm willing to, to improve because I used to help a lot of writers. I actually helped this one girl uh, win uh, a contest. She She was there was a, a fiction contest and this wasn't like an online, this was like a public contest. Like, like there was a big stadium with a bunch of people in it. And she walked up to this podium and, you know, they gave her like a, a certificate and she thanked people and I helped her to, to win that contest. But most of the, the writers that I work with, they don't want to change, right? Like I get a lot of people, they'll send me their chapters and I'll tell them, okay, well, you know, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. I point out the areas where there could be improvement and their response is, okay, thanks. And then I never see them again. They never talk to me again. It's, it's like they get offended that I'm giving them advice. And that with me, that doesn't happen, right? If someone points something out to me, I'm like, okay, I'll try to fix that. I'll try to improve that. But I can't get a fucking agent, which really forces me to wonder, does it even matter? Are agents just looking at my story and saying, this isn't what's popular. This isn't what's trending. It doesn't matter how good the story is. All that matters is Nick isn't famous. Nick isn't writing the kinds of things that attract buyers. But I like to believe, I, I continue writing and I continue trying to improve. 
because I like to believe that we do live in a meritocracy and that eventually, if you do something really well, or if you learn to do something really well, people will discover you and they'll say, man, this guy is really good at what he's doing. He should get paid for that because I'm tired of going to the bookstore, reading a book that sold a million copies and thinking, man, I could have done better than this. And this isn't just kind of my egotistical self saying this. Stephen King said this. Like he, like somebody asked Stephen King, how do you know if you're really ready to become a, a writer? And King said, usually when you go to the bookstore and you read a book and you say to yourself, wow, I could have done better than this. And it happens to me all the time. So I'm thinking I'm, I should be there and I'm just waiting, I guess, for people to discover me with the belief that, you know, life is a meritocracy and that I don't need to do any sneaky, deceptive, tricky marketing schemes to succeed in, in, this, uh, in this world. So that's really all I have for you today, folks. I will admit that when I went back and listened to some of this podcast, I realized that a lot of it came across as a little bit egotistical. I don't want to make it sound like everything I do is great. In fact, um, if you look at a lot of my older work, it was really, really awful. And uh, I actually have another uh, podcast where I just read some of my terrible writing from when I was growing up. And also, I've received some bad reviews. I've received a couple two-star reviews for The Princess of Anya, And I don't know why, because the person didn't leave any, uh, any comments. So I don't know why they didn't like it. But I think that's just part of the business. Think about your favorite book or TV show or movie. Something you really love. Something you feel like this is the best thing ever. And then go on Amazon and look at the ratings. And it may be a, a very highly rated book or show. It might have almost five stars. And by the way, this only works if there's a lot of reviews. So there's like five reviews. It's easy for it to have you know all, all praise. But if there's a lot of reviews, if there's hundreds or thousands of reviews, then there's going to be an increasing chance that one of them is gonna be a bad review. So find something that's really popular and go to Amazon and click on the, the one-star review section. And you will find that no matter what it is that you really, really love, there are at least a few people that really hate that thing. And they will go into great detail telling you why they hate that thing. So I know that there's definitely people that are going to hate my, my, my books but there's also going to be a percentage of people that are going to love my books. And I think the goal of being a successful author is connecting to those readers who will love my content. And I definitely hope that you will love my content, which is why, if you're interested, consider uh, checking out my website at nickalamonos.com, where you can pick up Ages of Anya, The Princess of Anya, and my latest book, The Feral Girl. Thanks for listening.